You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, hi and welcome. So great to be with you all. Great to be with you all online. Those of you in our overflow room right here in this space. Excited you're here. As you can see from the video, we are in a series that's called Differently the Same. We're taking a look at how our same core values here at Mosaic Church can and do connect to our unique right now cultural moment. And so far we've been looking at our value of worship through the life of Abraham. But today we shift and take a look at our value of community to the life of Moses. And to begin there, let's get into our scripture reading. It's going to be on the screen right there in front of you. Exodus chapter 14. Here we go. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That's the reading of God's word, all his people said. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, we do, after all, live in an interesting moment right now, do we not? Yes. We live through a moment right now that, you know, as one, on one hand, as a nation, for a lot of reasons, we're just sort of struggling to connect with each other. You see this in surveys and news cycles and statistics and all that, connecting with one another, we're told, and we feel, is really tough right now. And there are a lot of reasons for that, I think. I think a lot of them are understandable and so to sort of set up where I'd like to go today, let me just try to give you five of those reasons or challenges that we face in struggling to connect. I'm gonna go through these super fast, all right? So for one, first challenge to connecting we face is that we have what I'll call a fear challenge. A fear challenge, like we fear stuff like getting sick from one another, because that's happened. We fear being yelled at by one another, because that's happening, right? Uh, We fear being DM'd some not nice stuff by, you know, some troll folks out there, because that's happened too. 
So we say, I'm afraid of you, and we don't connect. Second, we have a reliability challenge right now, as in sometimes it's hard to know if we can even count on one another right now. School disruptions, calendar disruptions, airline flight disruptions, sometimes church events get rescheduled. So we say, I'm unsure about you, so we don't connect. Third, we have a a cultural challenge. And, and, you know, this for, for decades now with the rise of uh, the internet, media, uh, the media addictions, entertainment, personalized entertainment, we are now far more likely, as sociologist Robert Putnam put it, to go bowling alone. We say, therefore, I'm insecure around you, and so we don't connect. Fourth, we have a trust challenge, trust challenge, uh, trust in in institutions, trust in authority figures is at an all-time low in the U.S. And so we tend, you tend, you may have come in today a little cynical, right? A little jaded. I can't say that I blame you. So we say, I don't trust you, and so we don't connect. And fifth and finally, we have a pandemic challenge right now, as in over this pandemic, I think a a lot of us have gotten comfortable because so much has gotten shut down, reopened, you know, shut down again or whatever. We've grown comfortable with not connecting. We've just formed these new habits that are more centered around maybe mostly ourselves. So we say, I'm okay without you. And so we don't connect. And all of these challenges, this fear challenge, reliability, cultural trust, pandemic, I think they all kind of add up to create a moment right now we're living through where we're living out what George Michael sang back in the 1990s, good old Gen X angst album right here. He sang this, sort of the slacker you know, version. He said, all we have to see is that I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me. And he called that freedom. So let's just stop now and ask sort of Dr. Phil style, how's this working for us? (laughs) How's that been going for us? I don't think it's been going very well. I think we all want something better because we were made for something better and there is something better because there is this beautiful word that appears almost about a hundred times throughout the Bible. It's a word that's big and broad and beautiful and hopeful and challenging. It's a word that creates hope, inspires speeches and dreams and plans for the future. It's a word that also sometimes comes with an asterisk. It's the word community, community, because community is just what God does because it's just who God is. We've talked about that. And community, therefore, is just what God builds in the face, hear me, of every kind of challenge, even, for example, when his people here in Exodus 14 had what? A Red Sea challenge, a Pharaoh challenge, a chariots challenge, or where are we going to get food and water kind of challenge. And in the midst of all their challenges, what did God do? Come on. He saved them. And he formed a people. He didn't just save them. So this group of Israelites could now become this like, you know, these individual autonomous folk wandering around the desert, watching their favorite shows on their own personalized devices endlessly with their self-driving camels. No, they didn't do that. He didn't do that. He saved them then. And he saves us today to be a people who can reflect his heart to others, to be a community no matter the challenge. All right, so in light of all that, here's my question now, we're gonna get into it. What kind of people does it take to form 
a community. Again, I think that's what we all want, all want to be a part of. What kind of people does it take to form that in the face of challenge? Three things from the passage we're going to see. First, I think it takes people who belong, it takes people who believe, and it takes people who behold. Belong, believe, and behold. Right here from Exodus 14. Let's go. Number one, it takes people who belong. And I mean something in specific right here. Let's back the bus narrative up for just a moment. Okay, God has, at this moment, in what's called redemptive history, he's freed this group of Israelite slaves. If you know the story, you know, he brought 10 plagues upon Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and the Egyptians. The the Israelites had already experienced this thing called Passover, which effectively freed them. They had the blood of this lamb on the doorpost of their house. Death passed over them, but death came to these Egyptian people. And when death came to the house of Pharaoh... He finally said, get out, and they went. So out into the desert they go. They're a free people now, only to find here, like we read, that Pharaoh has had, unpredictably, I might add, a change of heart. He's remembered the economy that he's, been, that he's built has been built on the back of slave labor. But when the slaves are gone and those pesky plagues have stopped, He wants his economy back. So he sends his army after Israel to bring them back. And what do they do? Well, we read it. They utterly collapse in fear. Verse 11, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Now, I read it like that on purpose because this is supposed to be funny. There is, Hebrew narrative is an art form. There's humor in here. It's okay to laugh because the obvious answer, as the reader, to their question is no. <laughs> no, Moses did not bring them here because Egypt was out of graves, right? There were a ton of graves back in Egypt. Like Egypt practically invented the whole grave thing, the whole tomb thing, the embalming thing, the mummy thing. They could have done an HGTV show about it, like flip your grave, restore your tomb, right? Fixer upper desert style, right? No, this question, this is like the parents of multiple, you have multiple small children. Say you're trying to recover your sanity. You're trying to remember you actually like each other. You go out to dinner only to find the restaurant you picked was full of screaming kids and now one parent turns to the other the one who booked the reservation and they ask was it because there were no toddlers at home you brought us into this restaurant the answer is no there's a ton of toddlers at home and there are a ton of graves in Egypt this is what's called sarcasm they are insulting Moses and then it gets worse they go on What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? (laughs) The answer is freeing you, rescuing you, doing what you asked. And the cherry on top of the whole, you know, blame shift, ice cream sundae is this, verse 12. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. (laughs) Once more, the answer to that question is No, you never said that. None of you ever said that. And for the record, Moses is like, because I wrote it down, you actually said something else. Moses could have been like, back in Exodus 2, haven't written that yet, but when I do, it's going to say, if you all remember, you were more like this. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. 
Moses could have been like, you were groaning and crying and you all asked to not be left alone. So God sent me. So no, you didn't actually say that. You know, all right. What are they doing here? Israelite people are doing, they're doing and living out something that unravels community. It unravels community with their words right here. We'll look at it. They're doing the thing that keeps people from coming together to experience what God is wanting to do right in front of them. Here it is. These people, the Israelites, are negatively belonging in the past, not positively belonging in the present. I'll read it again and unpack it. They are negatively belonging in the past, not positively belonging in the present. I say negatively because of course we do. We must remember our past. Well, our history, our legacy, we can't do better if we don't remember right. And facts are our friends, even if they're uncomfortable. And speaking of friends, I've got some friends, and I hope you do too, where you remember stuff and great moments from the past. And of course, you're like, yeah, because I read your email this morning, this week, or this, this week, Pastor Morgan, right? Yeah. Yes, you did. Thank you, Pastor Gayla. That's right. We should remember the, 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 the good times, the fun stuff, but that's not what the Israelites are doing right here. They are not helping their community move forward in crisis. Mm-mm. They are dragging it back to a misremembered past. They're sabotaging the will of God for their lives, for their community. Now, I know none of us would ever say stuff like this, but maybe you've heard somebody say something sounds similar like this. You know, church was better back then. Church was better back there, that other place. Maybe, maybe not. Stuff like church in America was better pre-COVID. Church was better when it was bigger. Church was better when it was smaller. Church was just better back then, or stuff like, if you're new here, stuff was better in my old church, or that other, that other pastor was better. And of course, you'd probably be right. That's you. I'd be right about that one. I like those other songs better. No, you don't. These are, these are better. They just said, Moses, it's better back then. So I want to tell you, you know, if we're not careful, and we memorialize the past, we'll forget that maybe what is happening right now is what God is doing right now, and there's something great for us together right now today. I wanna tell you, what matters less is where we were. What matters more is where we are right now, and so let me tell you what I, I see right now. This is just coming from me. I see a church today, I see a church that's endured, like we all have had to, the fires of an unpredictable global pandemic and a ton of people getting sick all around them, maybe even losing loved ones. And I see a church that's, in spite of all that, tried to be a bridge builder and a peacemaker in the middle of unbelievably divisive times to the best of its ability and still spoken to the injustices that threaten the people that we love. I see a church that's full of people who have served their city in a storm, who've served hospitals in crisis, who serve the homeless in need, serve the local schools, serve law enforcement, who love one another and are committed to living out all these values in a multi-ethnic and multi-generational context. And I see a church that stands on the edge of experiencing God in a way it never has before and is exploding with life and with growth. But for you and I to experience all of that, we need people who belong Here's what I mean. Not to, not not belonging to another, another season of life, not to another vision, 
not to a memorialized, misremembered version of the past, but a people who can belong to this present moment and say, whatever God has for me next, that's what I want. That's what I'm here for. I'm moving confidently into that future. I don't want to miss my miracle. Number one, to build community, God needs people who belong, belong. Number two, number two, along with that, no, number two, let's keep going. Number two, Pete, God needs people who believe. Look at what happens next. Moving on in the passage, in the middle now of all of their fear and revisionist history, shall we say, someone steps up and his name, of course, is Moses. And look what he does, verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, this is an amazing speech, is it not? At other moments, other moments, if you read your Bible, you know, like Moses is in there a lot. He's got some ups, he's got some downs. Other times he doesn't do so well. You know, you can read it for yourself. But here, Moses is flawless. He's amazing. This is Moses' NCAA tournament, March Madness, one shining moment. <laughs> Highlight reel. If leadership were a sport right here, Moses wins his ESPY. If this were a movie, he wins his Oscar. If it were a song, he'd win his Grammy. Moses stands right here in the middle of all the fear, and he simply believes God. Yes. And what does doing that, believing God like that, allow him to be for the sake of his community? Ask it again. What does believing God allow Moses to be and become for the sake of his community? Here it is. Believing God allows Moses to become, here's the phrase, a differentiated leader. Okay? A differentiated leader. You say, what's that? A guy by the name of Dr. Ed Freeman was a rabbi, Jewish rabbi, and a psychologist. And I realize that sounds like a start of a joke, but it's not. Rabbi and a psychologist, he wrote this tremendous book all about leadership. And in his book, he talks about the need for what's called differentiated leadership in communities, in homes, in churches, synagogues, teams, businesses. Differentiation is the ability a person has, when they have it, as a leader, as a parent perhaps, to recognize that while they are deeply embedded in a system, a family system, a church system, they are permanently part of a system that there are, they are not yet, they are not the sum total of what other people say about them. Differentiation allows you as a parent to not be what your kids say about you. Praise the Lord. It allows you as a leader in your company or in your business, your team. It allows you to give others your best because you are minimally reacting to all the reactivity all around you. So let me give you seven quick characteristics of how differentiation looks, what it looks like. And we're going to compare and contrast with Moses and the people as we go. Here we go. Number one, differentiation is the capacity to take a stand in an intense emotional system. Does this sound like what Moses is doing right here? Yes, yes it does. Thank you. Yellow Galen. Differentiation, secondly, is containing one's reactivity to the reactivity of others, which includes the ability to avoid being polarized. Is Moses doing this? Yes. Are the people doing this? No. They are reactive and polarized. Does this sound a little like these United States right now? reactive, polarized. 
Differentiation, third, is maintaining a non-anxious presence in the face of anxious others. Is Moses doing this? Yes, he's embodying this. Fourth, differentiation is knowing where one, that's you, where you end and another begins. I ask you, is Moses, is he only the sum total of the people's complaints on social media about him? Like, is he worried about their posts like, Moses, you should sure check out, you know, hashtag Moses sucks, you know, or hashtag no graves in Egypt. No, he knows he's not what they say. We'll see that one pop up later today online, I'm sure. (laughs) Differentiation is being able to cease automatically being one of the system's emotional dominoes. Like you just... You just push people over with all your reactivity. Differentiation is taking maximum responsibility for one's own emotional being and destiny rather than blaming others or the context. What are the people doing here? They're blaming God, blaming Moses. What's Moses doing? He's owning his feelings and speaking truth and faith into his community. To summarize, Dr. Freeman puts it like this. In its simplest terms, therefore, differentiation is the capacity to be an integrated person while still belonging to a larger colony. About a decade ago or so in this church, 2010, when I first got here to be the lead pastor, stuff was just starting to turn around here after a really rough patch. We faced, this church faced, a Red Sea moment of its own. Our budget had shrunk for a lot of reasons. We were down to the bare minimum required just to keep the lights on, like four people employed here, and then one-third of our remaining bare-bones giving left when one giver who was given a third of it walked out the door. Now, he was a, he's a fine man, a great person. I just think that he did not want to go through that rebuilding process, and I don't blame him. I didn't either. But that was the job, and that's okay. So I, uh, Carrie and I, our family, had just moved back here from Nashville, Tennessee to be the lead pastor. We had four babies, all under five years old. We had no savings. We had lost every dollar when we had sold our home back there during that great recession time just to be here. And then this happened. $25,000 a month goes out the door. And I'm not going to lie, <laughs> your pastor was scared. Yeah. Scared. Remember that phone call? What are we going to do? <laughs> like, God, was it because there were no bill collectors in Tennessee that you brought us here? Right? <laughs> it was better back in Tennessee. What have you done by bringing me to Austin? Didn't I say to you, leave me in Asheville? <laughs> God could have been like, no, you actually never said that. You said to bring you to Austin. <laughs> it felt like we had an army of Pharaoh's bill collector chariots coming down on us and yet in the middle of all of that one of our elders his name is Dr. John Lloyd he stepped up and said God is going to provide let's go to the church and pray so we went into what's now our overflow room family room some of you are sitting in there right now backed in we didn't let people go in there it had moldy carpet smelled real bad we kept the door shut hoping you wouldn't poke your head in there and we prayed we prayed in that room and sure enough Within 30 days, God had provided a legitimate financial miracle when a local business agreed to rent dollar for dollar what the former giver had been giving. They rented out what's now our office building, our student center across the street. It was not in good shape, but they did it and rented it for what that previous giver had given, $25,000 overnight, and we passed through the waters. Yeah. What was John, what was he being? A differentiated leader. Come on, a non-anxious presence 
in a room full of the flammable gas of anxiety. Why? Because John believed God. And in your home right now, in your business right now, come on, in your marriage right now, in your singleness right now, I want to invite you to take a deep breath today, right now, this morning, this evening, whenever you're watching this, and I want to call you to be and embody this kind of person. It's what the people around you need. So we're gonna, to help you do that, we're gonna have you say some things out loud. I wanna ask you to have a little moment here of some positive faith confession, all right? Some of you old school charismatics, you're like, I came for this, all right. <laughs> Would you say these things with me out loud, okay? Just say this out loud, this is about yourself. Say this with me. I can be a non-anxious presence in the face of anxious others. I can take a peaceful stand in an intense emotional system. I can contain my reactivity in the face of others' reactions. I am able to take responsibility for my emotional well-being. I am not the sum total of what others say about me. I can be myself and still belong to a community. Yeah. That's the kind of person Moses was for these people. A non-anxious presence at the moment of maximum anxiety. A permanent part of his community. Hmm? And yet not an emotionally reactive domino. How? He simply believed God, trusted God's word to him when God had said, Moses, I'm going to free your people. Moses believed him. And that's the kind of person who builds community, who can. People who believe God and stand firm even in crisis. You say, all right, how can I be that? How can I be that kind of person who belongs to a community in this moment and who believes God right now in this moment? Put it like this. We can be people who belong and be people who believe, if number three, we'll be people who behold, who behold. Watch this. After Moses's one shining moment, God speaks. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Now that seems kind of weird. Don't have time to go into it. Ask me later. Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. But before Moses can do this, before he can lift his staff or the people can move, something curious happens next. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. Now, who is this? This angel of God, like just, you know, cross, you know, traveling across, you know, 100,000 people or more here, million people. There are a number of angels throughout the Bible, but there's only this one angel called the angel of God. It's like this shadowy figure shows up at these strategic moments. This angel regularly looks like a person, always appears in the Hebrew scriptures. He can be touched, looks like a regular person. This angel regularly speaks as God. Other angels say, this is what God would say. But the angel of God says, this is what I say. And unlike other angels of whom people are deathly terrified, this one never seems to provoke much fear. He looks, well, human. And so what does this human, but yet apparently not human figure do? Well, he moves from the front of the people to the back of the people, and the angel of the Lord stands between the people and Pharaoh's army. 
The angel of the Lord, can you see, places himself between the people and their enemies. He becomes their defense. But you might ask, well, how can someone who looks like this normal, how can they actually help or defend or rescue or save? It's because this angel is also supremely powerful. Look at what he does. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. So the angel of the Lord causes this giant cloud of darkness to come between the chariots and the people, and then the angel moves into this cloud. Like scholars, Christian, Jewish, they all know this is like the, the darkness, and the angel at this point become inseparable, indistinguishable. See, at this point, the angel and the cloud become one and the same. The angel goes into the darkness to shield and defend his people. And if all of this sounds familiar, it's because it is. Because one day, many years later, this shadowy figure in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures now took shape, took form, and Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the true angel of God, became truly human. And on the cross, he hung between heaven and hell, defending us from death, accusation, sin, the finality of any grave in any land. And what does it say? Then it says, the gospels tell us that a darkness came down upon Christ on the cross. Jesus went into the darkness to shield his people. Why? So that light could come to us. Light could shine on us so that our, he could be our defense against everything, trying to bring us back into fear, into anxiety, into bondage, so that we could behold him and believe that God is for us and he loves us. And this is what Moses beholds. And I want to tell you, this is why Moses believes. He beholds the angel of the Lord and he believes. And you'll remember, by the way, this wasn't the first time that Moses had seen the angel of the Lord. Because back at the burning bush, remember that, Exodus 3, that same angel was in the fire there. And so when Moses sees that same angel back here again, first at the front of the army, he knows, oh, the fire couldn't hurt that guy. The water sure isn't going to drown him. And a couple of spears from Egypt aren't going to be much good either. And when Moses beheld that angel again at the front of the people, oh, he believes he's able to call them to stand firm. He knew it was going to be okay. And now when he sees the angel of the Lord come to defend him, now Moses is able also to do something else. Say, so what is it? Let's apply all that you've heard right now. See, Morgan, what can I do with this? Here it is, it's the same thing that Moses does. When he beholds what the angel of the Lord is doing, that God's not just with him, but for him, what's he able to do? Here it is. Moses is able to offer what he has in his hand for the sake of his community. He's able to offer what's in the sake of his hand for the sake of community. Look at this. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, turned it into dry land. Waters divided. Israelites went through a wall of water on the right and the left. So Moses stretches out, not just his hand. We know he has a staff back from verse 16. And the waters part when Moses lifts his staff. Why all this about the staff? Well, for, for 40 years, if you know the story, Moses was what? He was a shepherd. And all he had, staff. One night God came to Moses and he said, Moses, I'm going to use you. 
To free your people, Moses says, I can't do it. God, if I go to Pharaoh like that, he's going to kill me. But God asks here, Moses, an amazing question. God had asked him back there at that burning bush before he ever got to the Red Sea. He asked Moses, Moses, what is in your hand? What's in your hand? What did Moses have in his hand? Just a staff. Just a shepherd's staff. A nothing staff. A nobody, broken, beat down staff. That's all Moses had, because that's all Moses was. A shepherd, nobody with a staff. But I want to tell you, God doesn't see us like we see ourselves, does he? And he doesn't see what we have in our hands like he sees it. Because under God's anointing, at God's direction, as Moses beholds and he gazes upon his intercessor, his go-between, his defender, that same staff, shepherd his sheep, becomes an unstoppable weapon against evil. Moses, lift up your staff. Moses, stretch out your staff. And he did it, and the Red Sea parted, and a nation was born. Moses, come on, lift up what you have in your hand. Moses, I need you to see it like I see it in your hand. Yeah, it's just a staff. But that thing I gave you that you've got in your hand now in my kingdom is a miracle-working tool of divine power that will bless your people and build a community. So let me ask you, what do you have in your hand today, huh? What do you have in your hand? Whatever it is, I want to tell you, it's not just for you. It's not. Being a Christian is not just saying, I'm okay with God, so I'm good, right? That's not what all this is about. Why? Because there's a lot of people, maybe you, who aren't good today. This isn't about, am I okay? Because there's a lot of people who aren't okay, and Jesus didn't come for the okay, but the not okay, not the healthy, but the sick. And aren't we supposed to do the same? Yeah. I want to encourage you. What do you, what do you have in your hand? What do you have? Like a smile? That's cool. <laughs> we like smiles. Your time, your presence. I want to encourage you. Lift whatever it is up for the sake of those around you. Let's be a people who belong, who believe, and who behold. Let me take a moment and pray for you. And Pastor Corey's going to come up and talk to you for just a minute. Lord, I thank you for today, today, our day. Lord, I'm praying for those of us who may be struggling with the past, in the time before, we would see, Lord, what you're doing now is something also amazing. Lord, we don't want to miss our miracle because we're misremembering something that may or may not have been. Lord, help us to see that you're still here with us, you're still moving, still parting waters, still rescuing, still forming. Thank you for that. Lord, help us Lord, to be able to be a non-anxious presence for those around us who are counting on us. And I pray above all, we'd be able to behold you, Jesus, our defender, our intercessor, our go-between, and our savior. In your name I pray all these things, Lord. Amen, amen. Pastor Corey, would you come? Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.